0: as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day.
1: All right, so this morning we're continuing our series as we are journeying through the book of Mark. And as we do that, uh, we are continuing our Sent to Serve series. And uh, I get to help us jump into some difficult, uh, some difficult teaching this morning in Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus's, it's well known as, as Jesus's teaching on divorce. And so I just want to give a big shout out to Pastor Allen for allowing me to be the one to present this message. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, and on an hour less sleep. So, you know, it's all good. But, um, I, you know, I am excited. And, and as I believe that as we dive into this passage, we're going to see that there are truths that we can learn from and live out. And so there's no easy way to put it. Divorce is, is difficult and it's painful. Um, And unfortunately, in a room like this, I would venture to say that most of us have experienced divorce in some form or fashion. Maybe it's like me and your parents are divorced. Or maybe you have a child or a grandchild who has walked through divorce, or maybe just a close friend. But we all know and we understand the difficulty, the pain, and the destruction that divorce can cause. And I also realize that likely in a room like this, um, that there are those who are on the brink of divorce or maybe recently divorced. And even hearing that term in church you know, stirs up some emotions and some feelings that are, that are still raw and still real. And so as we dive into this difficult subject, I've been asking God to give me the right words to say, right, to have a sensitive heart, but to also present God's truth, And so what I want you to know is today I don't come across uh, judgmentally. That's not my heart. And I realize that if you've gone through divorce, it's, it's probably one of the most difficult things you've ever done in your life. And if you could have avoided it, you probably would have. And I think those in this room, you probably understand better than most why God hates divorce. But no matter how you've been affected by divorce, This morning, I think that what we're going to see today is that it's not God's best. See, God hates divorce because he loves marriage. And God loves marriage because it reflects Christ's love for the church. And ultimately, that brings God glory. So let me just pray one more time, real quick, as we dive into this text together. Father God, you are good. I love you. God, thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that you would be with me even in this moment, God, that it wouldn't be my words, but yours. And God, that we would see the truth that you share, but also the grace that you give. And so God, we love you and thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 10. If you would stand with me as we read God's word. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse one, it says this. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her on her way. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in verse 10, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You may be seated. So, like I said, not an easy text. And so in these verses, uh, Jesus is continuing his journey to the cross. And as he arrives in the town, he, he, he... is in a place where John the Baptist, the one who came before him, actually had just been beheaded because he called out King Herod and his unbiblical divorce and remarriage. And so we're in that same town and along come the Pharisees to test Jesus. And the first thing that I want us to see here is that there is a danger of a hard heart. See, Jesus sees right through the Pharisees, right? Like he knows what the conversation is. He knows where they want it to go. And so rather than letting them direct it, he just is like, okay, you want to talk about Moses? Let's talk about Moses. And he says, what did Moses command you? And I love how Jesus, right? He answers their question with a question. It's kind of like this subtle way that Jesus is saying, okay, yeah, I'm in control here. I'll be asking the questions. And so he asks that question and the Pharisees answer, Moses allowed us to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And I don't know how you hear the Pharisees there, but I can't help but like hear my kids kind of being like, uh, what? Moses said we could do it. Everybody else is doing it, right? And then, and then Jesus comes in as, as, a, as a loving parent would and he, and he gets to the heart of the issue. He says, it's not that simple. Moses just didn't say you could do it, he gave parameters because of your hard heart. Jesus identifies that divorce is not a law issue, it's a heart issue. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on the book of Mark, said this, the reason that God allowed divorce was that the hearts of the men of Israel were hard. This was a divine concession to human weakness. A concession demands sinfulness, but it cannot be taken as approval. It was a reluctant permission at best. So the danger of a hardened heart, if we see that the Pharisees have a heart issue, a hard heart, how do we make sure that we're not just like the Pharisees? How do we make sure that our hearts aren't hard? Well, let's just take a little inventory um, as we look at that, right? The question is, are we more often justifying sin or are we confessing it do we see how close we can get to god's laws and god's rules or instead do we see how close we can get to jesus are we desperately holding on to control in everything in our lives or do we trust jesus even in hard truths like today do we turn to worldly wisdom or do we turn to godly counsel and do we settle Right? Do we settle for convenience and comfort or are we striving for God's design? Jason Meyer in his book on Mark says this, the problem with the Pharisees as usual is that they are staring at the law and seeing an external issue without stopping to see the underlying heart issue. See, the Pharisees' hearts were in the wrong place. They were just looking for rules that they could follow. And they came to the conversation wanting something from Jesus. They came to satisfy their own desires. What were those desires? Well, it could have been that they were just trying to justify their watered-down view of the covenant of marriage. It could have been that they were trying to get Jesus to pick sides between the ongoing debate about the parameters of divorce that we see that stems from Deuteronomy 24. And are you conservative in this, Jesus, or are you liberal in this? Or it could be that they were hoping to get Jesus to say something That would end him up with the same fatal place that John the Baptist ended up. But no matter what, what we can see is that they were were not coming to Jesus for more of Jesus. And because of that, they were missing the beauty of God's design. See, what Jesus does is Jesus directs the Pharisees and he directs them back to the creator and the sustainer of life. The creator and the sustainer of marriage. And he says, Listen, I, I know what Moses said, but that's not God's best. That's not God's ideal. Divorce is not God's design. The beauty of God's design is so much better than a concession made because of hard hearts. In his response, Jesus gave an answer that was beyond the limits of two sides of an argument. Jesus points to God's ideal and he declares that any situation falling short of God's original design is not God's best and is always involved sin. So let me remind you how Jesus kind of quotes from Genesis in verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer Two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. See, because God is the creator and the sustainer of life and of marriage, God defines marriage. He authored it, He designed it, and therefore He alone defines it. It's not the government, it's not a courtroom, it's not the Pharisees, it's not even Moses. God defines marriage. And so if God defines marriage, how does he define it? Well, there's four things we see in that section of scripture there. First, we see that Jesus is saying that male and female are fundamental building blocks of marriage. Jesus says that marriage by definition and design requires sexual difference. The marriage relationship now takes precedence, right? It says uh, over any other relationship, including your immediate family, your closest friends, any work relationships... After your relationship with God, your marriage is your number one priority. God is in the union of marriage, right? God does something that only God can do. He takes one flesh and one flesh and brings them together to create one united flesh with him. And God defines the beginning and the end of marriage when he says, let no man separate. So knowing God's definition of marriage... Right? Maybe, maybe that makes us look at marriage differently. What if instead of marriage was about what we could get out of it or our happiness, what if we looked at marriage with a kingdom perspective? Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is a great book, I would highly recommend, he says this, within the Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person and to get a glimpse of what God is creating And to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a partner with you and God in the journey that you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I'll look at your magnificence and I'll say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth. Look at you now. So within God's plan and God's design, there is a beautiful thing in marriage, and we have to have a kingdom perspective. One of the best examples I've seen of this in a marriage is Jody's grandparents. You know, they they were so sweet, and they both passed now, but right up until the end of their lives, they they would just hold hands, right? And then you'd see moments where they would embrace with a kiss and just show that affection, But there'd also be times where they would like tease each other and joke around with in like a little flirtatious way. But you know what was even better than any of that? What was really the foundation of their good marriage is that they read the Bible every morning together. Every Sunday they were in church together. And my wife has vivid memories of visiting them in Michigan and being at their their lake house and, and her falling asleep to the sound of them on their knees praying for the whole family. And see, it was them, the the, the husband and the wife and God joining that together that made their marriage so special. They had a kingdom perspective. And so if you're in the room this morning and you're not married, but you wish you were, first of all, let me say this, singleness can be a gift. (laughs) That's not how I meant that. Paul talks about that it can actually be a benefit to helping the gospel go forth. I love you, Jody. I think you're in here somewhere. I don't know. This is not how I meant it. 830 crowd did not hear it like that. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But a single friend of mine said this about those who are single. He said, I think singles idolize marriage. And while they could just serve and continue pursuing Christ better. But if God does call you into marriage... Right, like, and, and you're pursuing that, I hope that you would use this quote as your baseline. I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I wanna be a part of that, a kingdom perspective. See, to answer the Pharisees' question about the law, Jesus ends up drawing them back to God's design. And then Jesus just ends the conversation, right? He's like, well, what did Moses tell you? We could write a certificate. And then he's like, well, let me tell you about your hard hearts. And then actually from creation, mic drop. He doesn't let any debate. He doesn't let any further discussion. That's just where it ends. Instead of getting in the middle of both sides, he just leads them to God's design. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, Pharisees, you've you've got the question wrong. A better question is, is how can I experience God's best for my life? And in this scenario, as he's talking to the Pharisees, divorce is so far from God's ideal that he doesn't even address it with them. You know, it reminds me of a a trip I I took with some students. We had about 30 students. We went to Nicaragua and we were serving with a local church there. It was great. We had an amazing time. But as you do on a mission trip, you usually get like a fun day and you go do something, right? And so we decided we're going to go see a volcano. Um, And it was an active volcano, right? Uh, so like lava. Okay. And so like they said, it wasn't going to erupt anytime soon. And I was like, okay, I hope not. And we, we go to this volcano. And as we get up there, it's night. Right. And, uh, there is a guardrail, right? Even in Nicaragua, they still had a guardrail. And so while we're there and, and we get up to the volcano, the students, they didn't stay 10 feet back from the guardrail. Did they? No, the students got right up to the guardrail. And then they're like jockeying and posturing for position so that they can lean over the guardrail and see the lava and feel the heat coming up. And I gotta tell you, I'm getting a little nervous because there is no way to get home and tell a parent that their kid fell into the volcano. There's just no, it's not in the handbook for student ministry. And so it really ended for me when one of the students took their leg and picked it up over the guardrail so that they could sit on it. I'm like, okay, that's it. We're done getting the vans. We're getting out of here. Let's go get dinner. And I feel like in a way that's the posture of the Pharisees. They're like, Jesus, how close can I get to the rail? Jesus, can I press up against the rail? Hey Jesus, can I can I lift my leg up over the rail and sit on top of it? And Jesus is like, guys, really? You want to talk about how close you can get to the lava? I've got a taco feast over here for you. Come with me, let's go get more guac. <laughs> and so, as Jesus often does, right? Like he's, he's directing their hearts back to God's design, not just the law. And then And then we get to this point where he gets alone with those closest to him. And as he often does, he takes the law and he turns up the dial. And when he's alone with the disciples, he shares the pain of divorce. So in verse 10, it says, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Listen, God, God has a best and, and divorce is not God's best. I will say I don't think that these two verses define every scenario of divorce and whether each situation is permissible or not. And I don't believe that Jesus is talking to those who in spite of their best efforts have, have ended up in a divorce because of adultery or abuse or a lack of safety. I do believe that Jesus has taken the discussion about marriage and divorce in the room with his closest followers, and as he often does, he turns up the dial on the law. We see this in Matthew chapter 5 when he says all of those things about, you have heard it said, right? You have heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who has anger with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus has this habit of taking law issues and making them heart issues, of turning up the dial. And so here, Jesus flat out says, he says, if, if you get divorced for non-biblical reasons and you remarry, that's adultery, and I'm, I'm gonna be honest and say that's not easy to hear, right? That's not culturally acceptable, and it makes for difficult conversations about second and third or however many marriages, but it is what Jesus says, and so we must submit to his lordship in all things, not just easy things. And I think Jesus gets in the room with his closest followers and he shares this hard truth because he wants them to realize the severity of divorce. I think he's saying, like, hey guys, divorce is a big deal. But why? Why is he saying that divorce is a big deal to the disciples? And why today is it still a big deal for us? Well, I think it's because divorce ruins lives, divorce breaks hearts, divorce has generational impacts. And it reflects a broken view of Christ's commitment to his church it always stems from sin and divorce is never God's design and uh I, I mean I, I do have a little personal experience with this my parents uh, were divorced when I was three years old and uh whether it was because they couldn't or they didn't want to they didn't raise me uh my grandparents stepped up and did And I remember there would be nights, I was probably around five or six, and I would just wake up in the middle of the night crying. And I would go to my grandma and I would be like, am I ever gonna see my mom again? And she didn't know. She would just hold me and love me. And then there was another time, I'm I'm like 12 now, and I'm with my mom's side of the family. We're all going to Colorado. Um, My mom's not there, but the rest of her family is, probably like 25 of us, right? And it's a big family trip, and we go to picture day, right? And everybody's got their their white sweaters and their blue jeans, because that's what you do when you take a big family picture. And so we're there, and the mountains are behind us, and it's beautiful and all that kind of stuff. And we take this big, giant picture, all of us together. But then after the big group picture, we start taking individual family pictures, And I'm just standing there, not knowing where I fit, not knowing where I belong. And I think a lot of times that's what divorce does to kids. Divorce is painful, it hurts, it breaks, it destroys, and it undoes all the beauty and the oneness and the fullness that is meant to be experienced in God's design for marriage. Uh, Danny Akin says that the Bible never condones divorce, however, it does recognize the reality of divorce. And so I do want to point out two concessions for divorce the Bible mentions. The first one is adultery in Matthew 19, 9. Uh, And it said, uh, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so most scholars, this is kind of the same uh, scenario, the same perspective, the same timeline as what we're reading in Mark. But now this is Matthew's perspective. And most scholars believe about the Mark passage, the only reason that he doesn't mention this exception is because it would have been assumed to be true for his audience as well. And so the sex oath is the signing part of the covenant. If the spouse violates the one flesh union, it is grounds for divorce The second thing that we see in Scripture as a concession is abandonment. First Corinthians 7, Paul's talking about this idea that if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. And so if, if an unbelieving spouse leaves, despite the love and care of a believing spouse, then divorce is allowed. And so while these concessions exist, they're there, they're in Scripture, neither of these are God's best. they're not God's design. You know, Pastor JD Greer he talks about uh, divorce and kind of relates it to the idea of amputation. I think it was about three weeks ago I rolled my ankle, and I have really bad ankles like I could roll my ankle out of a flip flop um, but but this this was, this was a whole other level. I start sweating a little bit just thinking about it. But I was, I was out at the driveway and I'm pulling in the trash can and I don't know what happened with the curb and my ankle, but they did not get along. And all of a sudden it was like, and I heard a pop and I'm seeing stars and I can't think straight. I don't know what my name is. And I'm trying to get in the house and I'm dragging my leg. And finally I get through the door and I can barely talk and I'm like, ankle Ice. Ah, and it's so bad. It's so bad. And I wanted to bring a picture of my purple foot, but I didn't think you guys could handle it, but it was disgusting, okay? Worst, worst rolled ankle I've ever had in my life. Now imagine this. Imagine I go to the doctor and I go to the doctor's office and I wanna get some help with my rolled ankle. And he's like, oh yeah, rolled ankle, purple foot. Mm-hmm, I see it. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna cut your leg off. Right, If that was the case, I would be like running out of that doctor's office as fast as I could. Why? Does, does amputation exist? Is it a medical practice? Yes. When? Only in extreme, radical situations. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to get across about divorce as well. It should be a radical last choice. Malachi 2 says that God hates divorce. And the reason that he hates divorce is because it is always a result of sin. Always. You know, we live in a world of a, a no-fault divorce. And you you might think or you might know someone who has said something like, "No, no, 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 no sin here. We just grew apart. Our preferences changed. We're different people now. It was a mutual decision and we're actually friends." And that's great but it's still sin because it falls short of the glory of God. And let me pause for a minute right here. Because as much as God hates divorce, hear this, he loves you. As much as God hates divorce, he loves you. And because of this reality, in this room, there are many that are dealing with or have walked through the pain of difficulty of divorce. And if not you, someone close to you that you care about and that you love. And the reality is that we live in a fallen and broken world where divorce exists and that does not exclude the church. And with that reality in mind, as a pastoral staff, I want you to hear this, we love you. You are loved here. It's on the signs in the parking lot, it's on the TVs in the commons area, it's on the invite cards that we pass out. You are loved here. And we mean that. We don't just mean that when life feels great and squeaky clean, we mean that in the reality and the messiness of life. We are here for you. We are here to pray with you, to cry with you, to encourage you, to equip you, to fight alongside you for God's best, to answer your questions, to provide biblical truths, and to love you in and through your difficult and complex situation. And our heart would be to protect the sacredness and the beauty of the marriage covenant. I also wanna say this. If you're not safe in this room, get safe. If you're not safe, get safe, get help, protect your kids. There is no shame in that. God is not calling you to stay in a physically abusive relationship. And that doesn't mean that God can't restore that relationship. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to restore that relationship. God is a God of renewal and repentance and forgiveness. But get help. Help. And we have an amazing counseling department that can walk you through any scenario that you're in, and they can provide tools, and they can give you action steps, and they can provide wisdom from years of experience. Pastor Steve and Dr. Ann would love to help you with that. And if you just go to firstnaples.org slash counseling, you can find out more information about our counseling department, you can make an appointment, and you can figure that out. And so we want to use that resource, and I will tell you, sometimes... In this room, let's just say that there might be a little bit of a stigma stigma of going and seeing counseling, but both my wife and I have have reaped the blessings of the wisdom of Pastor Steve and Dr. Ann. And so I would encourage you, if you need help, get help. And honestly, there's probably way more situations and scenarios that I haven't touched on yet, and I'm not going to be able to touch on with the time that I have. And so anything that I don't touch on in this really difficult topic that Pastor Allen has assigned me, he would love to get any of your emails. I'm kidding. Wow. Um, I'm kidding, of course. We are all here for you. We love you, and we want to walk you uh, through your situation. Because God, he, he hates divorce. Because he loves marriage. And he loves marriage because it reflects Christ's love for the church to the world, and that brings him glory. And if that's true... If God's, if if marriage reflects God's love for the church, then we have to pursue God's best. And if we know that God's best is not divorce, he hates divorce, then what is God's best in marriage? And how do we pursue it? We looked at how Jesus, he he was quoting from Genesis and God's design. Now what I wanna do is briefly look at Ephesians 5 and, and see some practical steps that we can take to pursue God's best. So Ephesians 5 Verse 33 is kind of a summary of it. It says, let each of you love his wife as as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I already mentioned that book, Meaning of Marriage. Uh, In it, Tim Keller says this about this section of Ephesians 5. Paul shows us that even on earth, Jesus did not use his power to oppress us, but sacrificed everything to bring us into union with him. And this takes us beyond the philosophical to the personal and the practical. So if God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that it reflects the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. Let me say that last line one more time. Marriage only works to the degree that it reflects the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. You see, nobody, nobody accidentally builds a house Right, You're not just walking along and you trip over some two-by-fours and you look back and, oh, there's a spacious four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath with a pool. <laughs> like That's not how it works, right? If you're going to build a house, it takes time. It takes planning. It takes financial investment. It takes sacrifice and it takes a little bit of crazy, let's be honest. And no matter where you're at with your marriage, newly married, happily married, struggling or barely walk through the doors this morning together, you aren't going to fix your marriage accidentally either so the question is are you willing to lay down your life are you willing to lay down your hurts your preferences are you willing to die to self and will you fight for God's best and if you are I've got some practical steps that that we can take this week to help us as we pursue God's best for our lives and for our marriage the first one is this get your personal relationship with Christ right Look, if we are thinking that we're going to uh, restore and refresh and, and, and all those kind of things, our horizontal relationships, we better get our vertical relationship right with Christ first. We have to come to Him. So we have to get our relationship with Christ right. We have to be in community, right? When we're thinking about protecting our marriages, be in community. This is why we make groups a big deal. We have them on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but get in a group where you can have community to encourage, support, care for, and look out for one another, guarding and protecting each other's marriages. Put in the time. One of the ways that you can do this is praying together. Jody and I, over the last few years, have realized the importance of it. We've tried some different things, and recently we've set Wednesday mornings aside. And we go for a walk, and we hold hands, and we share our hearts with each other, and we pray. We pray for our kids and our marriage, but you have to set aside that time. Another way to do that is to dialogue daily, to date weekly, and to depart annually. What does that mean? Well, dialogue daily, take intentional time, eye to eye contact where you're sharing your heart with your spouse. Date weekly. Listen, Jody and I kind of got caught up in the whole like a date night has to be Friday night and you have to pay for a sitter and you have to go to Outback and you have to overeat and you have to spend way too much money and all those things, right? And we didn't really like that. You know what a date is for us? It's in the middle of a Saturday and we ride our cruiser bikes around and we go to a picnic and have lunch. So it's not about what you do. It's the intentional time that you take together and then depart annually. Right For our anniversary, every year we go on a vacation. And let me just clarify real quick. A vacation is when it's just you and your spouse. A family trip is when you bring your kids. Okay, It just helps, it helps me mentally to prepare myself of what to expect. Right, But we go on an annual anniversary vacation. And usually in that conversation of we're trying to plan it and whatever, we're like, oh, I just don't know if we can afford this. And then we always come back to the idea of I don't think we can afford not to. And so depart annually. And then use the right tools, right? I've mentioned a couple of books. Read Together, The Meaning of Marriage. Another great book for us was Love and Respect, which kind of gives you the idea from Ephesians 5 that you love your wife unto Christ, not because she's done anything for you, or you respect your husband unto Christ, not because of the way he's treated you. It's more about honoring God than it is about what you get out of the relationship. Listen to a podcast. Find a biblical article. Seek wisdom. Look for a couple that's further down the road than you and they've gone through more life and more experiences and they're doing it well. And ask them, hey, can you you walk alongside us? Could you meet with us? Could we have dinner sometime? Counseling, I mentioned that already. And then on the back of your first word, um, there's a QR code. And it's at the top, it's in yellow. I'm trying to make it real easy for you to see. And also, you could just go to firstnaples.org marriage. And there you'll see all those resources that I mentioned, the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller, love and respect. But then I also went around the offices this week and just asked all the staff, hey, what's a book? What's something that's been beneficial to you in your marriage or that you've suggested? So there's resources there about preparing for marriage, about separation in marriage. There's resources for forgiveness. There's all kinds of things. So I'd really, we wanna equip you right? Not just come here for 30 minutes and hear a message and then have a good week, but like really equip you in this because it's a difficult topic and I'm not going to touch on everything. And so I would encourage you, please, please check out those resources. Why? Because God hates divorce because he loves marriage and God loves marriage because it reflects Christ's love for the church. And that brings him glory. But what about your specific situation? Right? Maybe, maybe I didn't touch on what you're struggling with. What about your marriage that's on thin ice? Or what about the divorce you've already had or the second marriage that you're already in? And as we begin to close, let me encourage you with God's grace for someone who was actually caught in the act of adultery. John 8, 1 through 11 kind of uh, captures the, the picture of the woman caught in adultery. Right, And so the Pharisees, they bring this woman to Jesus, and, and they're bringing this woman to Jesus not because they care about the woman and they want what's best for her, but because they want to test Jesus. And so they, they bring her to Jesus, and they say, teacher, this, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they do this to test Jesus, and ultimately what Jesus does, again, not getting into their debate, but he says, let the first of you without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they walk away and walk away. And then it's just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus, to her, with compassion, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So here's what God will do. God will call out our sin. And he will call us to repent. And then he covers us and washes us with his loving grace. And so no matter where you're at today, God's grace is big enough for any situation that you're in. If you're single, use your singleness to serve God and advance the gospel. Let Christ be what satisfies your heart and mind. If you're married, don't be complacent. Pursue your spouse to reflect Christ's love to the world. Make your marriage the most important relationship outside of your relationship with God. If you're in a bad marriage or separated... Remember the forgiveness and the power of the gospel. Pursue your spouse unto Christ. Seek restoration, not because they deserve it, but because you have received the ultimate love from Christ that you didn't deserve. If you're divorced, own what you can own. Repent and seek forgiveness where needed. If you're remarried, again, own what you can own. Repent and seek forgiveness where needed and use your new marriage to reflect the gospel and serve the Lord. You know, one of the things that Jody and I try to do regularly as a, as a married couple is uh, we sit in these two chairs and it kind of overlooks the backyard and we drink our coffee together in the morning. And during the week, we're kind of doing different quiet times um, and, and, and we'll pray together a little bit. But on Saturdays, we try to do something together. And so last Saturday, not yesterday, Saturday before, we're sitting there and we got our coffee and it's great. And Jody opens up her Bible to Psalm 103. And we just start to kind of use it as a prayer and we're praying through it. And as we're getting through it, I'm just like, man, this is so good. I was like, Jody, I could just end my sermon with this. I could just read this over the church. And so then I come into the, the office on Monday and we're having our all staff meeting and we're all sitting around tables and we have a time of prayer together. And as I look down, there's a sheet of paper and it just has Psalm 103 on it. I'm like, okay, Lord. And you know, I told you guys at the beginning of this message, like I was, I was praying. I was praying for each of you. I was praying that God would give me the words to say. And I think it's interesting that he didn't just give me the words, he gave me his words to say. And he used my marriage, he used my wife to speak through her and to, and to bring that Psalm 103 to me. And so what I believe is that he gave me those words to just kind of wash over us this morning. And for us to remember and for us to see his goodness, his love, his grace. So no matter where you're at, I want these words to kind of wash over us. These words about his grace, his forgiveness and his love. Because here's why, God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than any sin. God's grace is greater than any brokenness, any difficulty, any separation, any divorce, any adultery. In this room, for you today, God's grace is greater. And so I'm gonna ask us to do something a little different. What I want you to do is stand up. If you would stand with me. And I just wanna read these verses over you. I'm not reading the whole Psalm, but I wanna read these verses over to you. And you might have a Bible in front of you that you wanna read along with, and that's great. But what I'm gonna ask you to do, if you would, is just close your eyes. Close your eyes and picture the heavenly Father just sharing these words that you could remember who he is, how he loves you, and the grace he has for you. Psalm 103, verse eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him church what i hope that you get this morning if nothing else is that god hates divorce but it's because he loves marriage And he loves marriage because it reflects Christ's love for the church to the world. And that brings him glory. Will you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And God, we thank you for your love and your grace for us. And Lord, as we talk about hard biblical truths, about divorce and adultery, and God, how we can pursue your best and your design, God, would you allow those those words from Psalm 103 to just wash over us, God? Would we understand your love for us? God, would we see that your grace is bigger and greater than any sin in our lives? And would we see, God, that your love washes us clean? God, we love you, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we reflect on God's love and pursue His
0: design. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.